0: This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Church. Whoa. Good morning, River Church. Let's try that again. How'd you like that timing? Y'all see how I slid in right as the video was ending? I'm getting good at that. So we are continuing in the book of James today, chapter 3. It's been a, I hope, a good series. For me, it's been an extremely challenging series. And so I've enjoyed studying it and walking through it probably as much as I've enjoyed teaching it. And I feel like I like... Just like I shared last week, I feel like God's just been talking to me so much through this book. And so I hope that he's been speaking to you. I hope he's been talking to you. Um, today, we're going to talk about um, something pretty interesting. James is going to contrast two different types of wisdom in our life that we follow. Two different types of life, I guess you could say philosophies that we might uh, tend to follow as human beings. And one of those is going to be a lot of bad advice and a lot of bad wisdom that we might have a tendency to follow. Has has anybody ever gotten any bad advice? I'm sure nobody in here, right? Has anybody ever given any bad advice? None of us, right? None of us, right? Um, Anybody familiar with uh, Jimmy Fallon? You all know who that guy is? Uh, Any of you guys watch uh, his TV show, The Tonight Show? It's kind of a big deal. I don't know. I think it's been around for a little while. But anyways, so occasionally he has this segment on his show where he asks his viewers to tweet in an answer to a question. You know what I'm talking about? You guys ever seen this? So he asked them to tweet in an answer to a question. And so one of them, he asked them to tweet in some bad advice that they've gotten. And I, did not, I didn't run through all of these, but I'm going to read to you a few of my favorite ones that, that uh, viewers tweeted in. The first one, some of these you might... Might take a second to get. because. Anyways, the first one, somebody tweeted and said, my first time eating sushi, my friend told me that I should smear that green stuff all over it because it'll help it taste better. <laughs> <laughs> said I couldn't taste I couldn't feel my tongue for a week (laughs) next one and you'll notice a lot of these come from dads so dads maybe we need to step up our game said my dad told me that the broken escalator at the mall was voice activated (laughs) said I spent 10 minutes yelling go up (laughs) before I realized that it was broken (laughs) another one was meeting at school this is some great advice the first day of school my dad told me to just go in and punch the biggest kid and no one would mess with me after that I'm the teacher. <laughs> my dad told me, all this is dad stuff. My dad told me when I started driving to never use my blinker because it was nobody's business where I was going. <laughs> I like that one. Um, this is probably my favorite one, though. Uh, my blinker went out and somebody told me to go to the store and I needed to buy more blinker fluid. <laughs> Apparently, that's not a thing. <laughs> so we've all received some bad advice at some point, like maybe some advice from somebody that we trusted, that we thought we could lean on, that we could follow. Um, and what James is going to talk about is maybe not so much advice today, but some a type of wisdom that we follow. And there's going to be two different ways we go. You know, he's going to compare two different types of wisdom. And at the end of it, what we're going to ask, we're just going to make this as simple as we can. Um, we're going to ask that kind of question, ask you to ask yourself that question, which one of these directions do I follow? Which voices of, of wisdom, which voice of wisdom do I follow? And if we're honest, um, there's always been these two different types of wisdom or life philosophies um, vying for us to pay attention to and listen. There's been a battle for this really since the dawn of creation, going all the way back to um, Adam and Eve. We saw where God created, God set up Adam and Eve in this beautiful uh, setup in the Garden of Eden. And no sooner than the paint was drying, the devil comes in and he challenged them and he questions them and, and he begins to pull them in one of the directions of this wisdom or life philosophy. And I'm going to read it from Genesis chapter three, starting in verse one. He says, now the serpent was more cunning than all of the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we, "We may eat from the trees in the garden, but about the excuse me, but about the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden, but not the almost says but God said, you must not eat it or touch it, and you will die." Verse four, no, you will not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So here we have no sooner than God has set us up put us created the world and put us in it do we have the serpent coming in and pulling them in one of these directions and he comes in the first thing he does is he challenges them to question who God is and there's so many things we could pull out of that there's so many directions we could go but we see as they come in and the serpent challenges them to question God's goodness for them he challenges God's heart towards them he causes them to question their trust in God he pulls on the pride of man don't you want to know more than God don't you want that wisdom But at the end of the day, ultimately, he's pushing them to make a choice. Which voice are they going to listen to? Which voice are they going to follow? Which source of wisdom are they going to follow? And I think we all know how that turned out. Thanks, guys, right? (laughs) And ever since that moment, there's been this battle of voices in our hearts, and, and it's kind of like Well, it's not really like this at all, but you know the the cartoons with the devil on one side and the angel on the other side yakking trying to convince you to do one or the other. It's not really like that, but in a way, it kind of is. And James kind of points to this and says there's these two types of wisdoms that we can follow, two types of life philosophies, two different voices. And we have to choose which one we're gonna follow in our lives. And you might think, oh yeah, one's God, one's the devil, so I choose God and I go the way of God, I'm good. I mean, as a Christian, yes, but then that, there's still that pull. There's still that thing calling us to go back, and there's this process of sanctification. There's this growth that has to happen in our life as we go deeper in our relationship with God that pulls us away from this other voice. And as we kind of walk through it today, you'll understand what I'm talking about because isn't a, I'm not talking about a salvation issue of being saved or not. I'm talking about a philosophy of life that we follow, okay? And so let's pick it up and see what James is talking about in this approach to life James chapter 3 starting in verse 13 I said who is who is wise and has understanding among you he should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart don't brag and deny the truth such wisdom does not come from above but is earthly unspiritual and demonic for where envy and selfish ambition exist, this is the wisdom he's talking about. It's a one that's full of envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every kind of evil. Those are some strong words from James, aren't they? And it's kind of hard to unpack all at once what exactly he's talking about, but what we understand is James is saying that this wisdom is from Earth, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. You feel like James likes this wisdom? think he's on this side? And he says, the result of following this pattern in your life will cause bitterness. It will cause envy. It will cause selfish ambition. And the result of it or the fruit of it in your life will be disorder and evil in every area. Some of you guys are probably rolling through your head thinking of some people that you know, they're like, yeah, their lives are disorder and chaos. (laughs) They're probably following this wisdom, right? Right? Don't do that. This is about you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You can think about it if you want. (laughs) And ultimately this wisdom or life philosophy that James is speaking about is not a life centered on God, even though we might be Christians. It's not necessarily a life that we center ourselves on God, but it is a philosophy of life that is a self-centered life. Where everything is focused on run through me. And James says this philosophy of life is based on self-centeredness, a way that sees everything around me, everything around me as self-serving and about me. Even as Christians, we do this. And selfishness as our core value, this philosophy he's talking about is selfishness, self-centered life. James says will lead to destruction in your life. Selfishness is never good. Selfishness ultimately at the end always gets us in trouble and it made me think about this old preacher joke that uh, I want to tell you guys about selfishness. It's a story of a doctor, lawyer, little boy, and a priest. Sound like this is going to go in a good direction, huh? So there's a doctor, lawyer, little boy, and a priest. They're out for a sunny afternoon flight on a small private plane, which begs the question like how did these guys get this plane? Like what's well, this? This is just weird, right? He says, suddenly the plane developed engine trouble, and in spite of his best efforts, the pilot of the pilot, the plane started to go down, and finally the pilot grabbed a parachute and yelled at the passengers, they better jump, and he bailed himself out. This is not going well, right? Unfortunately, as they looked around, there was only three parachutes left. The doctor grabbed one of them and said, I'm a doctor, I save lives, so I must live, and he jumped out. The lawyer then said, I'm a lawyer, and lawyers are the smartest people in the world. I deserve to live. He grabbed the the second parachute and jumped out. The priest then looked at the little boy and said, My son, I've lived a long and full life, and you are young and have your whole life ahead of you. Take the last parachute and jump out. The little boy looked at the priest and said, No worries, Father. The smartest man in the world just grabbed my backpack. (laughs) A self-centered life can ruin your life without you even realizing it. It's that voice that views the world from a limited perspective. It's it's a way of life that doesn't live in the light of eternity and think in terms of forever, but it thinks of in terms of immediate impact motivated by today, motivated by self-centered ambition. This wisdom from the world measures everything around you by how it affects me, how it advances me, how it promotes me. And the question that is always the forefront of this type of wisdom is what can I get out of this? And I'm telling you, I'm going to keep harping on this. Even as Christians, this is something that we battle with and battle with and battle with because our natural inclination is always about self-preservation, is always about advancing myself, is always about seeing myself be successful. And maybe I'm saying that only that we battle with this because I know that I battle with this, right? So maybe if I'm the only one in the room, James is just talking to me. But I believe that as Christians, this is something that we constantly, constantly are fighting against this voice in our lives. Everything's about me. Right. And James says this will cause this will, the result of this will be envy and bitterness and selfish ambition in your life. And you say, how does it cause envy? Well, if everything is about you, then you're looking around at everybody around you and you're seeing what they have and you're jealous and you're frustrated because you want what they have. You want to show that you're better than them, if only just by a little bit. Right bitterness because we can't let stuff let stuff go because how dare they hurt me? Look what they did to me. You see what I'm saying? Selfish ambition because we're always just trying to get ahead. It's a life and a mindset that is always focused on fighting for what I think I deserve. Which is funny because the gospel is the exact opposite of that, isn't it? And as we if we're not careful, we'll see this life philosophy bleed into every single area of our lives we'll see it affect and at its at its some of it sometimes it's a little bit sometimes it's full blown and it's just blatant and obvious right but we if we're not careful we'll see how it bleeds into our every area of our lives like our marriage we'll begin to view our spouse as someone who's just simply there to serve me to fulfill me to give me what i want and if they're not performing well enough i'll just find another spouse which by the way is a absolute recipe for disaster and I've seen, like the reason I say that, I've seen popular blogs and people talk about how like life is short and finite. And so, hey, if that person's not doing it for you, then get out. You deserve to get out and find somebody that will fulfill you. Let me tell you, man, nobody's going to do that for you. Right? But this kind of life that sees marriage as self-serving, I'm here. This is That person's there to fulfill me and make me happy. And if they don't do that, get out. We this f- frame of mindset looks at work and sees the workspace as simply something to advance me. We see our coworkers as someone as that we can use to advance ourselves. To step on their these are stepping stones to get where we need to go. And at its worst, ethics don't matter. It's simply tools I use around me to advance my career. This self-centered philosophy even comes into the way we see our money. And I know you're like preaching, better be careful. <laughs> But it comes in the way we see our money because we don't see our money as a tool to help others, but it becomes a tool that we acquire and acquire and acquire. This is mine. I deserve it. I own it. Don't anybody ever talk to me and tell me how I need to spend it. This is the one that gets us in a lot of trouble, though. The way this philosophy can view church, even. Because we begin to see church as not a place that we serve and worship and glorify our God, But the places we come, we sit down, we go, dance preacher, do it for me, fulfill me, teach my kids some morals. And at the end of the day, we miss the whole point of what church is about. And we see our lives and the gifts in our lives, not as tools given to us to glorify God and to help other people see God, but as tools in our lives to help me, to serve me, to make me happy, and it's a philosophy that, if followed all the way to its end, will sacrifice everyone around you and everything around you entirely for your self centered life to serve us. Sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? The thing about this is that if we're not careful, even as Christians, in this if we follow this self-centered philosophy where everything is about me, to serve me, to build me up, we'll even begin to view God this way. And so what happens is we see God as my get-out-of-jail-free card. We see God as my free ticket to heaven. We see God as the one who gets me the new stuff, gets me the new job, gets me the new car. We see God as the one that, hey, somebody's sick. God, you better fix them, otherwise we got some problems. And what happens is if God doesn't perform in the way that we think he should then we have a faith crisis and we run away. And at the end of the way, at the end of the day, this philosophy of life, James says, leads to disorder and destruction in your life. You say, well, how can that be? Well, let's just, as a, on a pragmatic level, imagine living in a family or a church or a community where everybody only cares about getting what's theirs. Living in a place where everybody only cares about serving themselves, sees everybody else around them as tools to advance themselves. Can you imagine how miserable and destructive and disorderly that would be? Uh, how about this? We have seen it. It's called politics. <laughs> it's miserable. But thank God, James looks at us and he says, but there is another way of life. There is another wisdom that we can follow. And he starts in verse 17. He says... This. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, without favoritism and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown into peace by those who cultivate peace. He's saying the next wisdom, the second way of life, the second way of thinking is a wisdom that literally is from above, meaning it's from God. And we as Christians have seen it modeled in the life of Jesus. It's a wisdom that understands that all this isn't about me. (laughs) It's a wisdom that understands that life isn't centered on, focused on me. I had a Sunday school teacher when I was young. And uh, if she was here, she would like totally not believe that I remembered this because I was like a hell child in Sunday school. Like I literally, I I made a Sunday school teacher cry one time. Like that was was not a good (laughs) child. Um, but she, I remember she came and she drew on the whiteboard this little circle. And uh can you all imagine there's a whiteboard? I'm actually left-handed. We'll do it this way. There's a little circle, and in it she put me. And then she drew a circle around that, and she wrote family. She drew a circle around that, church, uh, that, Texas, around that, uh I don't know, United States of America, around that, the world. And her whole point was as you grow, as you get older, we begin to understand and see that there's more to life than just me. That when we're born, when we are babies, we think everything's about us. And as we grow, we begin to see that there's more to life. There's more people around us than just me. And as we grow in our Christian faith, it's no different than that. Because as we grow in our Christian faith, we begin to realize that this faith isn't just about me. That the life I live isn't just about me. That life is, in fact, about God, about loving God, about serving God. And so often, of so often, we are trying to figure out what's the point of life, what's the meaning of life, what's what like we're all in that constant search for meaning of life. And as we look to the scriptures, it blatantly tells us that the meaning in life is simply knowing, following, loving, and glorifying God. That a life that lives for and points to Jesus is the only life worth living. A life that understands the cross and God's sacrifice for us that leads us to kill that self-centered life that we can easily follow. And that voice, that wisdom, that philosophy of life understands that, and views life not from a finite perspective, how can I best serve myself today, but that views life through the lens of this is living with eternity in mind. How can I impact, change, eternity? And we look at our lives no longer as everything around us as a tool simply to satisfy and advance me with the opportunity to glorify and point to God. And when we have this incredible shift in the way we view ourselves and the way we view our lives, that it's not about me, it's about loving God, serving God, loving others, serving others. This philosophy, it will change radically the way you view all those other areas in your life as well. Marriage goes from how can you serve me, satisfy me right, to I'm here to sacrifice for you, for your benefit, for your growth, to help them, your spouse, grow as close to Jesus as they can be. I mean, the Bible, as we look at the Bible, it literally tells husbands that we are to sacrifice and lay down our lives for our wives like Christ loved the church, to help our wives flourish, to sacrifice ourselves so that she may be perfected in her faith. That sounds the exact opposite of self-serving. That sounds the opposite of you're not making me happy, you're not serving me well enough, I'm out of this thing, right? Marriage through the lens of the gospel, through the wisdom that Christ gives us, understands that it's not about me and getting mine or keeping a record of how often you screw up, but it is something where I lay my life down for you. I sacrifice myself for you and for your good. And let me, let me tell you this, man, when both people in a marriage get that, are serving each other are sacrificing for one another are laying themselves down for one another marriage can be really 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 good don't you think it changes the way we view work because work isn't seen as the point of this point of life where i go in i've got to get over on people and manipulate my way through and work hard so i can get as much money as i can but through the wisdom of the through the wisdom and lens of the gospel we even see work as a place of ministry A place where I go in and I work my butt off and I do everything I can so I can provide for my family. But we begin to see even our coworkers as people that Jesus loves, as people that Jesus cares about. And we work hard and we work with integrity and we pour into even our coworkers' lives so that when the opportunity presents themselves, we can, presents itself, we can invite them to church. We can talk to them about Jesus who has saved us. Changes the way we view our money because well, there's a quote by John Wesley, who's one of a famous Methodist preacher. He said that his, his philosophy on money was that you should make all you can. So he's for making money. You should save all you can, and you should give away all you can. I believe that's a pretty uh, biblical concept of money. And, and as we transform from a self-centered focused life to a gospel centered, other centered life, we begin to see money not as a something that we hoard as in I earn this, I deserve this, it's all mine, but as a tool given to us by God for the glory of God. I'm not just talking about tithing, although we know that's commanded in scripture, but as God blesses us and flourishes us, we see it as a tool that we can use to bless others around us. It goes back to the beginning of James. when We talked about the widows and orphans. It's about caring for those who can't care for themselves, about picking others up who can't pick themselves up. It's a tool that God has given us to change the world around us. This type of life even changes the way we view church. We see it as a community of people, a family, who are together on mission, serving God together, worshiping God together in it for the long haul, together on mission together. You see the striking difference between those two philosophies of life? It's not even close to being the same, is it? One sees everything in life as an opportunity to serve me and advance me, the other sees everything in life as the opportunity to serve God and love others. And James says something pretty cool. He says, if we follow this philosophy of life, it's even going to produce some virtues in our life. Let's look at those again. He says, the wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy. I know compliant doesn't sound like a great one. Full of mercy and good fruits without favoritism and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. That word purity, the one he first starts off with, he says this is the most important one. And that purity, what he's talking about is a life that is connected to the character of God. And so as we follow this philosophy, it will create purity in us, a life that is connected to God, peace-loving, someone who lives in and walks in peace, gentleness. That sounds like a strange one, right? But it's referring to someone who, the way that they administer justice. So gentleness in, if you have the upper hand on someone or someone has wronged you and you have an opportunity to get them back, it's gentleness in the way that you respond um, and administer justice, not to abuse your power, but in a calm and fair way. And that word compliant, the reason I want to walk through is to get this one it's not referring to someone who is without conviction or backbone as a matter of fact it's the exact opposite it's referring to someone who is sober in their thinking and someone who can recognize truth when they hear the truth and they can willingly receive it and act on it so it's actually a very very strong person who doesn't get caught up in their emotions but through this making things not all about me is able to step back and hear truth and respond in the right the correct way full of mercy and good fruit, someone who is without favoritism and hypocrisy. James says this will produce some pretty cool things in our lives if we can follow it. The bottom line is that James says with our lives we are either living out one or two of these philosophies It's a battle that we've faced since the dawn of creation. One teaches me that life is about me to serve me and views everything through that lens. The other says life is about God, about serving, about loving, about knowing God, and about using my life to point to God. James says one of these will stir up dissatisfaction in your life. One of these will stir up um, evil in your life. James says the other one will glorify God and produce virtue in your life, one will connect you to the character of God. In your life, I am—I'm uh, not a complicated person, um, and I like to make things as like simple as I can. One of the the best compliments I ever got as a preacher was a lady came up to me after church and she said, "Mike, I love to hear you teach because you just make things so simple for me. It's just, you make it the you make the way you teach the Bible you say it in a way that I can understand it, and that was that meant a lot to me." And so I want to say this in the most simplest way possible this week as we look at this ver- these verses, we study these verses this week. I want to challenge you to examine your life and ask the question, which one of these are you following? Because the truth is, is as Christians, we can go back and forth on that line, right? On that scale. We can sometimes we're one way or the other and we kind of in different areas of our lives. But this week, if you get upset about something or you get angry about something or you get frustrated about something, I want you to step back. I want to challenge you to step back and examine yourself and ask the question, why am I, why is this getting me to me in this way? Which one of these might it have something to do with the philosophy of life that you're following? Might it have something to do with self-centeredness? Might it have something to do with making things about you? Or maybe we flip a switch and think about it in a different way. The point of this, all of this, is the point as Christians, is our growth as Christians and growing deeper in our relationship with God, part of that is learning that this thing isn't all about me. The difficulty is that learning that something is not all about me and living that out can often be really hard, right? (laughs) And so my prayer for us is that we would be a people and a church that strive to live life with eternity in mind that we would see the world around us through a gospel lens and understand that we are not here to make everything about serving me, about building me up, but that we could live through, live a life and be a church where we see that we are here to serve, love others, and in everything we do, point to Jesus. And when that serpent from the garden comes back in and tries to tell you to make things about you that you should get upset about this, that, because how dare they wrong you or whatever, just tell him to go back where he came from <laughs> if you get my drift let's pray god i love you thank you for who you are god thank you for this wisdom from james god i know that it's difficult to um that 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 sanctification that transform that transformation in our lives can sometimes be really really difficult and we can go back and forth on it but god i pray that you would help us help make us a selfless people in a selfless church God, I pray that you would grow us and help us to, to live life following that wisdom that makes things about Jesus, that sees the world around us through gospel lenses instead of selfish lenses, and that we could just, just follow you with our lives, that everything in our lives would point to you and be about you, God. We love you, and I ask you all these things in Jesus' name.